What's happening, people? Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Chris Walsh. He's the CEO and president of Marijuana Business Daily and an industry trend analyst. We are talking about how the cannabis industry works. People are claiming that cannabis will be the next gold rush industry. After it grew by nearly 50% in 2020, that seems likely. Chris knows everything about the world of weed. So today we get the inside scoop on this rapidly growing industry. Expect to learn how weed is somehow illegal federally, but legal at the state level, why THC suppositories are a thing, whether there will be a psychedelics industry, what to expect from the next few years of legalization, and much more. I also tried to find out how it is that Dan Bilzerian's company is like the only weed company in all of the world that went backwards in 2020, but Chris is diplomatic and a professional, so he uh, he remained impartial on that question, but it's still uh, an interesting thing to consider. Uh, it, it takes a real talent to be able to go backward when an entire industry grows by 50% during the space of a year. In other news. This episode is brought to you by brand new sponsor, Vibrant Vegan. They make the best tasting ready meals that I've ever tried. It is outrageous. They're chef made and flash frozen so that they lock in the taste and the nutrition. Then they get delivered straight to your door. You can get them in one or two person servings. You can get them delivered weekly, fortnightly or monthly. And there's 24 dishes to choose from with tons being added and refined all the time. There's tons of options with high protein, high fiber, gluten free, low fat and low calorie. And they can be ready in as little as eight minutes. What I hate is getting to the end of the day and realizing that I haven't got any food prepped, so I know I'm just going to go home and look in the cupboard and eat some crisps and chocolate because it's convenient and I can't be bothered to cook. But by having vibrant vegan meals in the freezer at all times, I know I always have a fallback plan. Or if I'm traveling and I don't have time to prep something, I can throw them in a cool bag, get to wherever I need to, and have a really well-balanced, high-protein, great nutritional profile meal ready that tastes fantastic as if someone's just cooked it for you. On top of that, you can get 20% off your first order of six meals with the code MODERNWISDOM. It's less than £28 with free UK shipping using the code MODERNWISDOM. And they've given me my own selection. So I've gone through all the meals that they make and I've put my own slightly spicy and high protein blends together. So you can get the pre-made box that I like, all of my favorite ones, by going to vibrantvegan.com co.uk slash modern wisdom and you can check out my favorite selection or you can create your own box it's a one-off purchase or you can sign up to get the frequent one but you can just get it once try it out see how you get on and you'll get that 20 percent discount plus free shipping with the code modern wisdom at checkout that's vibrantvegan.co.uk slash modern wisdom and modern wisdom at checkout for that 20 percent discount and free uk shipping in other other news. This episode is brought to you by the Hybrid Pillow, the first pillow to combine traditional comfort with revolutionary memory foam support technologies. It's like an Easter egg, right? On the outside of the Easter egg is memory foam, and in the middle of the Easter egg is a 50-50 blend of duck feather and down core. So it's the best option if you're looking for a supportive pillow with the comfort of a traditional feather pillow. Having a hybrid mix provides the orthopedic support of memory foam, which relieves pressure buildup around the neck and it keeps your head and your spine aligned, while the feather in the down core softens the pillow and makes sure that you stay cool and comfortable throughout the night. If you've tried other memory foam pillows but found them too firm and uncomfortable, 
this is for you. It'll help to reduce muscle soreness in the morning. It keeps your spine properly aligned throughout the night and reduces how much you wake up from head movement. On top of that, you can get a 20% discount site-wide on all their pillows at thehybridpillow.com and the code MW20 for a 20% discount. Plus, there is a guaranteed better night's sleep or your money back. That's thehybridpillow.com and MW20 for that 20% discount. But now, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the wise and wonderful Chris Walsh. Chris Walsh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Excited to talk cannabis. <laughs> what is someone with an MBA doing working in the cannabis industry? <laughs> well, I was finishing it uh, when I got involved back in 2011 and uh, definitely got a lot of questions about what the hell I was doing. Um, I, was, I was finishing my MBA and was had a background in journalism. So I was a business reporter and editor at newspapers in the U.S. and in South Korea. Uh, so... What is a person with an MBA doing? You're seeing more and more of people like me come in, but it's uh, it's a massive business opportunity, and it's it's in the U.S., it's in Canada, it's in Europe, it's in South America, it's all over the world now. So uh, I, I'm in it because first and foremost, it was a fascinating industry that I wanted to be part of. I don't come from the cannabis culture, but from a business perspective, I thought there was a lot to like here into helping develop a new industry. And uh, also, you know, cannabis helps people in a lot of ways. So it's not like we're making, you know, cups or whatever, you know, like we're, we're doing something, we're making a product, we're helping an industry that relies on a product that's actually helping people. And that's important to me personally, too. So uh, a lot of unique aspects about cannabis that lured me into it. What makes the cannabis ind- industry so interesting? Well, I would say that the rapid speed at which cannabis has gained support all over the place, uh, you know, this was something even when we started uh, that was really taboo still. And so this, again, we started in 2011. And even then it was like, what is my aunt who's a nun on the East Coast going to say? And what is my dad, a serious political journalist going to say? And so you know, what we've seen is that the rapid acceptance of this industry has 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 been phenomenal, uh, way faster than I thought. So there's just excitement around it. People are embracing it. They're accepting it. It's an industry that has come out of the darkness very quickly. It's existed for a long time. Right. But not in a legal fashion. And uh, and people are interested in it. It's 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 fun. It's cool. And, you know, there's not a lot of industries that offer this level of excitement and opportunity. The people in it are different. There's great people. There's um, not uh, there's in some cases, there's not a lot of business sophistication, which is changing. But what you have this industry crop up, especially here in the U.S., where, you know, the average everyday person could get involved. Um, And that is changing, you know, but initially the regulations were really low. The cost to enter was low. And so you had kind of this American dream type industry where you didn't have to you know, have 15 years of experience or have started three other companies or have a million dollars in, in funding to get involved. So a lot of, these are some of the aspects about it. And um, and just the massive, you know, when you bring this up at a party that you're into it, that you're at, um, no one, even over the 10 years I've been in it, 
most people are not like, oh, I can't believe you're doing that, or they don't like kind of turn up their nose and walk away. If anything, they're interested. Even if they don't support it, they're just interested. So for all these reasons, I think it's it's a really fun, exciting industry. It's challenging, though. It's really hard. It's harder than anything I've ever done. But uh, it's um, it changes so quickly, right? And, and first of all, I'll just start with this. It's really difficult to learn the industry because in the U.S., and this is a microcosm of what we see internationally, including in Europe, Every state is handling this differently and every city is handling it differently. And so they use different terms and jargon and they they view it differently. And there's different regulatory structures. There's no there's no commonalities. So you just to learn about what the heck is going on. And so you feel like you can hold your own in a conversation, even at a, at a base level, takes a long, it takes a long time. Because just when you think you got to figure it out, there's some whole other area of the industry. You're like, oh, I didn't even know about this uh, or it worked that way. And so the, the international industry is that way too. the global industry, you know, um, the UK is handling it different from, you know, Greece and they're handling it different from Denmark and all of them are handling it different from Colombia and South America, you know? So, uh, you have to really, it's, it's constantly evolving. It takes a long time to get a handle on it. And, um, and then it changes and you don't know how it's going to change. You have no idea how it's going to change both in positive, immensely positive ways. And also in in negative ways that can hurt your business uh, and because you don't know what to expect. So these are the reasons it's challenging. And I'll go back to what I said a minute ago. The people in the industry now are different. And um, that's often a very good thing. But if you're used to regular business norms and and ways of uh, conducting business, it's different here. So that takes a while, too, to learn. You know, there's a lot of people who, who won't do business unless they know you. It's not like you can come in using all this MBA jargon, right, and sell them on something. They're going to, you know, smack you and tell you to go away. Uh, so there's just a lot of unique aspects of it. Didn't you once get accused of being an FBI agent at a, an expo at some point because you were the only guy there in a suit and tie? Um, yes, very, very close. Uh, when we first started in 2011, I was doing research, trying to understand the industry myself, which is much different than it is now. But at the time, it was only legal for medical purposes in Colorado, where we were based, and in and, and some other states, still illegal, you know, federally then and now. Um, so there was a lot of the people who were forming businesses then came from the cannabis culture. They were maybe growing in their basement or uh, buying and selling on the illicit market. And so they didn't know if someone was going to come in. We didn't know what the federal government was going to do. Even though it was legal in, in the states, it was not um from, from the federal government. And they were operating businesses that you could find on sea on the streets. They weren't underground, hidden. And so I went to an industry trade group. And yes, I, I actually went to the bathroom and there was a guy in there and you know, they're kind of awkward when two dudes are kind of there going to the bathroom. And he's like, you know what, you seem, you seem uh, pretty cool, but uh, you're not an FBI agent, are you? And he really felt that. Uh, it wasn't just a ingest because they didn't know if this meeting of professionals in the industry was going to get broken up and they'd be hauled off to jail. That's that's the situation these people started in. Can you explain what on earth is going on when you have something that's legal at the state level but illegal at the federal level? What, how does that even work? <laughs> I, hey, if anyone can answer that for me, please do, because um, I've been racking my brain to figure it out over all these years. Basically... The government just turns its head away and says, this is a low enforcement priority. And that's what really changed the industry. 
is, you know, in 2011, 2012, there have been crackdowns because the government was going in and raiding dispensaries. What, when Even you say they, the government, are they deploying, is that the FBI? Uh, federal agents right, in, okay, in different yep. agencies. Yep. And they were going in and, and there weren't regulations really around the industry then. The states weren't regulating it. There were just people saying, hey, it's legal in my state, so I'm going to open up a dispensary or a cultivation operation and I'm just going to do this until someone says so that it just built from that and expanded and then there was crackdowns by um federal government agents and and there was a point where after we started where we almost got out of the industry because we're like I, I don't know if this is going to make it as a real business um but then the federal government basically um under obama said okay we're going to look the other way this is going to be a lower enforcement priority they didn't say we're going to look the other way but they said look we got a lot to deal with so you know don't don't worry about this, especially if there's regulations behind it. That was the key. So all these states started regulating the industry and establishing, you know, this is what you got to do. You got to get a license. You got to operate under these um, rules and regulations. And you got to be a legit business. When we started, there were there were people on the corners, you know, for their dispensary. And they'd have a, a big sign with a joint on it. They'd be spinning it around and and, you know, pointing this way and, you know, you're on major thoroughfares and and there's kids and 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 there were billboards and that people didn't like that. Like the, the community didn't like that. The lawmakers didn't like that. So you had this move <clears throat> to start, excuse me, regulating the industry. And <clears throat> I'm sorry. And that really started making it more acceptable. And so to get back to your point, the federal situation, it just developed on its own in all these states and it eventually reached a critical mass. And there were enough people that supported it, enough people involved, enough money coming in and taxes and enough startup activity and job growth that it just dominoed and snowballed. And then you had more states legalizing and starting industries and more. And the federal government really at one, you know, it got to the point where they couldn't really do anything about it. And so they, they didn't consider it a priority. And with that basically pathway forward by saying, hey, we're not going to this isn't going to be a top priority for us. The industry just ballooned. And so it is this stupid situation where you've got 38, I think we just had 39 state legalizing medical. And then we have 17 with recreational plus our, you know, the capital of our nation, Washington, D.C., has legalized both. And you have all these businesses and billions of dollars being generated, but it's federally illegal. It, it's a it's a it's the dumbest situation I've ever seen that we, we can't do anything about. I mean, it's so. It's so ridiculous when you step back, and that's where your question was. It's like, how how does this even happen? Was that the final word from the government? Was the final word from the government, this isn't a top priority, and there's been no other update since then, basically? Um, not really. There was a modification of the memo that basically paved the way for the recreational industry that be, that said if if it's regulated – if it's regulated, the adult use, recreational, use it for anything you want. When that started cropping up, you know, the, the government was like, okay, kind of same thing. We're not going to, as long as the states are overseeing this. Uh, and there were some key guidelines in there. Uh, and there's been comments on it along the way. Under the Trump administration, we weren't sure if there was going to be a crackdown. Uh, you know, a traditional longtime conservatives, older generation is usually, you know, against this historically and is, has come around, but still, especially in Washington, D.C., there's still a lot of resistance from that group. And so we didn't know what Trump was going to do. His his uh, Jeff Sessions, you know, our top kind of law enforcement official, he um, it looked like he might crack down, but it never occurred. So they're really it's just this kind of gray area. But 
what you're seeing is that it's so big, it's so accepted now, 90, over 90% support for medical marijuana legalization across the country, whether you're in the really conservative anti-marijuana states or in the more friendly ones, and recreational marijuana is above 60%. I mean, this is a losing issue in general. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there hasn't really been, we're just kind of, people are just moving forward. And now there's been a lot of moves federally to change the laws. Uh, but they kind of they're working their way through our, our government process and, and the resistance has kind of blocked them. And so we don't know what's going to happen. We're in a good position now where there could be federal change because the, you know, the, the centers of power in our government are all controlled right now through next year by the Democrats. And they are, you know, they have been pushing marijuana. So it's become a big topic. They're trying to get bills through. There's still resistance. Uh, it's, it's only a matter of time. It's like, is it a year or four years? I don't know. But here's what I just want to point out that it's interesting because people look to the U.S. and say, oh, this this marijuana industry and they're the leaders. And in a lot of cases, the U.S. is they're the biggest. Right. And there's a lot of innovation going on here. If you ever visit a store, there's all these array of products and uh, it's really cool to see. But there's over two dozen other countries that have legalized medical cannabis federally. And some of them have legalized recreational. So the U.S. is actually way behind from that policy standpoint. And so um, it's just a weird dynamic all around. What do you reckon is going to happen with the U.K.? Can you imagine the uptight <laughs> Brits over here, gloomy skies, cup of tea and a, a spliff on a morning? I can. I'm sure that's already going on uh, in many cases, as it is in every country around the world. Uh, in terms of, of the broader legalization, I mean... You know, I have been surprised many times, as I mentioned before, you never know what's going to happen, right? Some of the, the developments have been negative, but a lot of them are positive where we never thought something momentous would occur or, or to this level. And, uh, and, and I do think, and, and by that, I mean, you've, you've seen countries, you've seen states in the U.S. legalize when they weren't even on the radar a year before, or there was, there seemed to be like no way. And I remember a couple years ago, I was doing a lot of our global market research and traveling around to Europe and South America and other, other areas of the world. As we expanded globally, I was speaking and learning about these industries and where they were at with the cannabis discussion. And everyone I talked to in Europe said, UK will be the last. They'll be the last. <laughs> um, and, and they said, no, no, people from the UK, people from other countries in Europe, uh, said UK will be the last. And, you know, you know, what happened is there was the, the one case that got out there of, of a couple who had a daughter and she needed, she had seizures. And it, it, we've seen this play out in, in other areas, including in the US. And this whole debate all of a sudden out of nowhere arose around, you know, CBD and, and people started changing their minds. And then there were some, there were some moves there to loosen laws around that. So I, I do think this, I would not put it out of the question that it's five, 10 years off or will never happen. Um, it, it can absolutely happen. And attitudes all over the place are changing really quickly. My impression whenever I go to America is it's bonkers how widespread the acceptance of it is now. It's seen the same way as having a beer would be. You know, it, there's no friction at all, as far as I can see. People do it on an afternoon because it's a Saturday and we're watching football or we're going out for some food or whatever it might be. And um, yeah, it's crazy. I wonder, I wonder how much romance is still attributed 
to it being a drug as opposed to a drink or something that's obviously legalized because you still have that layer of um, federal scrupulousness, right? They're, they're looking at what's going on and you know that there's still an, a, a tiny little 1% amount, even if you're in the most liberal state in all of America, it's still kind of a bit illegal. If the wrong person at the wrong time saw it, there's still a, a law somewhere that says no. I wonder how much that contributes to kind of the romance still of it being a bit of a counterculture, of it being something that's up and coming. That's a great uh, observation or, or question. I remember a couple of years ago, I know someone who lives in the south, the southern part of the U.S., a very close uh, person to me, and he said he came to Colorado, tried out all the you know marijuana stores, and went to I got him a tour of a grow, and he's like, this is fantastic. And he had used a long time his life. Again, I don't come from that background of using heavily, but he did, and it was like a kid in a candy store when he came here. And by the time he left, he said, you know. I don't know if I want this to come to my state. And I said, why? This should be this should be what you're rooting for. This is your heaven. And he said, it just feels like it's going to be like everything else. And mm. he and and so to your point, there's there are absolutely there's there's resistance in, in numerous ways. So I want to make sure we're clear that, you know, there's there's people who are against it morally. There's people who think, you know, uh, that are unsure. There's others who think it's going to ruin communities. Um, but there's also this contingent that enjoyed and part of the fun of using cannabis was the counterculture aspect and how you got it and the people you talked to and smoked with and um, and the type of, of marijuana you were getting. Right. Even though this is much higher quality and better and it's packaged nicely and there's all these products. Some people say, I just want that. I just want that really good, you know, bud that I got. And I'd roll into a joint from the guy I know. Yeah, from you know, Johnny Fatbags on the corner or whatever he's yeah, called. Yeah, Johnny Fatbags. There yeah. you go. <laughs> I like that name. Um, yeah, so so uh, you you hit you hit the nail on the head. There are people like that. And there are others who do not like how it's progressed into um, more of a corporate mentality. And, and that has been needed to push legalization because the general public doesn't want to see the counterculture aspects of punk people. rockers stood up in front of Congress saying that we need <laughs> we need more dispensaries in our state. Yeah, or running sh stores without regulations, right? That are there's yeah. you know, people are afraid to go in, or they're you know whatever. And so there's definitely people who are saying it's gone way too far in the business corporate direction, and we're losing that counterculture element. And and they are right; they are absolutely right. Now you can argue whether whether that's a good thing or not, but the fact of the matter remains is it's happening. And we, it, the counterculture is actually becoming smaller and smaller piece as the suits, as the business people come in uh, and start running this like every other industry. So I'm, I'm concerned about that, too, because it needed to move along the spectrum, didn't need to move all the way this way, it shouldn't be all the way over here. It should be in the middle. And that's what I like about the industry is it's different. And if it does become like anything else, uh, you know, it's going to lose its allure. And unfortunately, it's going to block out a lot of people for business opportunities, for careers that, uh, you know, that, that might have had an opportunity in the past um, because then you need a different skill set and they're going to be looking for, you know, people from the mainstream corporate world. So a lot going on in this industry, uh, a lot of changes and they're happening quickly. It's, it really seems like that, man. It doesn't surprise me either that it's difficult to keep on top of. All of these different moving parts and elements, it was an industry before it was a monetizable industry or at least on scale. Here's one of the things that I found that was really fascinating. I spent a fair bit of time in L.A. Uh, over the last five years or so and 
going down Hollywood Boulevard, you would see a 150-foot-high Ignite poster or some other big marijuana brand poster. And what I realized, or what I thought, what I figured at the time, was that when marijuana became legalized recreationally and you could advertise it as a recreational product, what was essentially happening was that the government or the state was firing the starter pistol for everybody to just decide to press go, right? You had similar amounts of technology that people understood the industry, abilities to grow, access to growers, so on and so forth. So what people needed to do was compete based on marketing because the products at the end of the day were all going to be relatively similar, but you had an industry that was ready to go, spinning its wheels as fast as it could, launch control, the button gets hit and everybody goes. So what I noticed was you had Mike Tyson, you had Dan Bilzerian, you had other celebrities and well-known influencers that were getting involved very sort of at the, at the figureheads of companies, right? I wondered how much of that was companies just thinking, right, what is the fastest way that we can become the ubiquitous name that when you say weed, you say this, Ignite or Mike Tyson's Ranch or whatever it might be, Tyson Ranch. Um, is that Was that right? Is that what kind of happened? Was it companies just thinking, right, we need to capture as much of the culture as possible. Therefore, who's the biggest, loudest name that we can get? Strap them to the front of this rocket ship. And then when the government says go or when the state says go, we have more clout and we have more eyes on us. Yeah, and I, th I would compare it to traditional business in general. You, you know, the, the use of celebrities that resonate with your target customer is widespread, at least in the U.S., in many, many ways. And it's a tried and true method uh, that companies use to build a brand and, and to get traction. And so as more uh, famous people or semi-famous, you know, some of these people were famous like 30 years ago, you know, <laughs> and were tied to the cannabis culture like Cheech and Chong, you know, all of a sudden they're back, back at it. Uh, but they they felt comfortable attaching their names to this and then it started to expand and the companies yes to your point are saying how do I how do I build a brand that's different what's familiar to my target customer base right and in a lot of cases a lot of cases it's people who had initially the first couple waves of this were more well-known people who had this cannabis tie whether they were in movies whether they smoked personally and then were open about it whatever it was and is what you've seen more recently is an, um, uh, an iteration of this. And so now companies are getting former federal regulators, former politicians on no their way. boards. Yeah, the former Speaker of the House, the U.S. House, is, uh, is on the board of a cannabis company. Um, you also had celebrities that uh, had nothing to do with cannabis. So money talks, right? <laughs> money, money, money talks in this country. And so that has helped bring more people into the fold as it's becoming more normalized. But, you know, we had an event, uh, I think, I believe it was two years ago, one of our business trade shows. And uh, we had Gene Simmons, the you know lead singer of Kiss. And and he, because he was he was actually signed up as the spokesman, kind of brand ambassador for a cannabis company, he never used drugs in his life, ever. He never even tried cannabis. Uh, but again, money talks. Um, so you've seen another iteration, pol former politicians high up in, in Washington, D.C., former state politicians and other people with brands and with names that aren't associated with cannabis traditionally that have jumped in. And the ca companies are. You're, you're absolutely right. They're like, how can I stand out? 
as I see this progressing down the road and it becomes yeah. more of a bigger national industry, uh, how am I going to build my brand? And that's one way they're doing it. It's fascinating to look at as an industry because the barriers to entry are relatively low, as you've said. Even if you want to become fairly sophisticated, it's not going to be as hard to make a range of edibles and vape pens and pre-rolled joints as it is to create an iPhone or a competitor to the iPhone. Also, because this industry is just starting now, there aren't these established players. You know, how many iterations do Apple and Samsung and Huawei have on creating electronics? And you now need to reverse engineer all the shit that they've done for the last God knows how many years. Whereas with this, it's it really does feel like everyone's kind of going at the same rate. Just how big is the industry? Well, and just to address your first point, uh, the, the U.S. is a, just like Europe. It's a it's a tapestry of different, you know, communities and viewpoints, and and so what's the it, when when you apply that to the marijuana industry, California's industry is way different than Florida's, and that's way different than Colorado's, and that's way different than New York's emerging industry, and um, and so in some cases, the reason I bring that up is, in some cases, states have tried to keep the barriers low. And they've tried to say, okay, there's going to be low application fees. Uh, we're going to, you know, have social equity components that help people that might not have the money that have been traditionally marginalized. There's a lot of different ways they're looking into these things. But there, the trend has been that it's getting harder and harder. So those barriers are, yes, not to the level of creating an iPhone, but um, it's also to the point where you usually, in a lot of states now, have to have a million or two lined up to, to be just able to get to, started just to like get a license, prove that you have the money to operate an effective business and then start your operation. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's a barrier to entry, right? That's a big one. Uh, and that's where it's changing. But again, other states, it's a lot lower. It just depends on where you're looking. So it's all, it's all over the board. Did you watch Murder Mountain? I haven't. Oh man, you need to, it's, it, this is, this is your jam. This is completely about your jam. It's on Netflix. It's a fly on the wall documentary about a bunch of different it, it, you you need to watch it anyway. And there's, there's, I've heard about it. I've just I've been so busy keeping up with the changes in the cannabis industry. I don't even have time to watch things. Yeah, anymore. precisely. I understand. <laughs> but you see, you you see the the likelihood in in situations like that of what's going on, just how these people, these sort of small time growers that used to be there, are no longer able to make it work because they are being pushed out. They're having margins squeezed. They're having particular stipulations put on with regards to the type of yield the size the quality that's expected certain um standards that they maybe didn't used to have to meet or were different as far as they wanted to and yeah i, I wonder whether it'll loop back around and you'll end up with artisan blends you know kind of single harvest grows from very particular you know, people that are coffee aficionados are prepared to pay for a very unique blend that's a little bit more specific and then you'd have the kind of nespresso uh, instant coffee pod for the the normal day-to-day -day user yeah you're absolutely seeing the um the industry change in the sense that there's there's a feeling that you've got to go big or go home and you've got to scale to compete going forward so you got to be in multiple states and you got to have chain stores and you got to have massive grows and you got to be able to recognize uh and get uh you know efficiencies to mass produce but and I think that is true in a lot of cases, like eventually this industry will be like any other one where there will be the massive producers, whether it's, you know, like the beer industry, there's those couple big names. And now you have the smaller ones um, as well that have a foothold. But I do think 
you you have some businesses and right it's all about finding your place in the industry like in any industry and so some are absolutely finding a market for that what we call it kind of craft cannabis <laughs> you know a hand trimmed and and really specialized and for the connoisseur and it's not mass produced yeah. you know and just saying that can bring a lot of people into the fold even if the marijuana is this good um, so yeah it's there's there's opportunities all over but everyone's trying to find their place right now and in some, as we go forward, that is going to be the key to their success. Who's, and we, who do you think's got it most right in terms of dispensaries? Because I've been to a MedMen, and man, that was like walking into an Apple store. That was insane. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, there's no one right model because of the consumer base is so broad. I mean, you have you have the traditional kind of hippie stoner crowd, right? And they want a certain look and feel. And they don't want it to feel like an Apple store at all. That's a, they want that's the antithesis of what they want. And then you have, you know, you have soccer moms and uh, or football moms. Um, and you have, you know, the people, professionals that are coming home from work on a Friday night and they're grabbing an edible or they're grabbing a pre-roll joints and uh, instead of the wine or the beer or maybe both, you know? And so they want maybe that Apple store feel. Um, and then you have just the people who are trying it for the first time uh, and they need uh, they need an environment where the store is really uh, outgoing and friendly. And so they, they just want to feel welcome and they want to feel comfortable. And, you know, maybe an iPhone type store doesn't doesn't feel that way for them. So there's it just depends on what your niche is and who you're going for and what area of the country you're in. It really does. You know, it breaks down sometimes geographically. And, and this type of store is going to work over here. You know, if you're in Manhattan you know, that MedMen iPhone thing is cool and it's hip and that's what you want. You know, if you're in Northern California, you know, you want something that feels more earthy or, or yeah, however I you went want to, to describe it. I went to this one, Captain Jack's or something. It was all kind of exposed wood on the walls. And this was very much, it was an independent dispensary uh, in San Bernardino Valley. And it was the weekend of a big festival, a music festival. And I think Dead Mouse was playing. Uh, so there's like a fairly big queue outside. And I just decided to have a little walk. I had some work on the next day. And I, was, I need to go see this because I'd been to the Med Men, but I wanted to have a, I wanted to check this out. And sure enough, the doorman at the front, because there's usually, or at least in this one, there was a waiting foyer. So you have these people sat down. Are oh, you registered with us? Can you show us your ID? There's a lady at the end. And you've got this huge African bouncer at the front he was somewhere between a doorman and a hype man for a DJ. So he's asking everyone, yeah, guys, you're going to party this weekend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what, what are you going to get? And people like, hyped up. And, yeah. God, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is, it was mind-blowing. Like, it's just a crazy experience to go into a place. And that was the waiting room. And then you go into the actual thing, and there's a, a bar set up with, um, I don't know what you call it, where you put... Uh, resin or concentrate into those special type of bongs so and mm -hmm. it was there was a guy doing special blends like a bartender essentially behind yeah. this bar and there's people sat down on these stools he's like mm, so we are we recently have this in we have the sativa blend and we've got this this thing and it's mad it's so funny well and then you go to vegas right las vegas and you want a completely different experience and you go you go to one there near the strip it's called planet 13 and that's like a Vegas dispensary. You walk in and they've got like this LED floor. And it looks like you're walking on water. And then you get in and there's these these um, circular drones every hour that come out of the ceiling. And they do this like performance and they just all, no you know, all synchronized. They got lights and, you know, that, that, that's awesome too. And that's what people want when they're in Vegas. 
that <clears throat> that may or may not work, you know, in, in uh, Alabama. Shit, did you see, I'm pretty certain it was in Vegas. I got, because I'm on MedMen's uh, mailing list, and they send out an email towards the start of last year before COVID hit saying, if you land at, is it McCarran? In, uh-huh. Yeah, Ma- yeah McCarran airport. airport. We will pay your Uber or we will get a taxi to collect you from the airport to come to MedMen straight away. Absolutely. The, the, the innovation in Vegas on this front is huge. So, yes, we have our MJ BizCon, our big event there, uh, industry trade show global. And when we went one year, yeah, MedMen had plastered the, a lot of the taxis with ads. So the taxis, the cabs were red. And they had med men. No way. And that's where it, so people coming in the airport, you're seeing it all over town. So, you know, you're you're getting the best and perhaps worst of American branding <laughs> expertise in, in, a, in a city like Vegas. Right. It's just in your face. It's there. It's splashy. Yeah. Some people love it, but it, you know, it works. What about scaling out now then? How much is the cannabis industry worth sort of to America overall? And then have you got any idea globally? Yeah, I mean, in the U.S., we've seen tremendous, tremendous growth since 2011. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, 38, 39 states with medical, 18 with recreational, and we have billions of dollars on tap with new markets that are launching, new states that have legalized recently. But in general, you know, we have we make we've done market research on this industry for a decade, and it's really hard to pin down numbers because the government doesn't track it. There's a lot of ways to look at it, but so we've honed our methodologies around the way, but. By our best estimates, with a wide range, saying this is a more conservative view, this is a more aggressive view, you know, is that uh, sales were uh, up to $20 billion, $20 billion with a B in, uh, in retail sales. So that's through dispensary, through recreational marijuana stores last year. And we expect that to grow about 30% this year. Uh, and the growth was much, much bigger in the past percentage-wise. But now our base is $20 billion, right? So it's hard to double that. So... 30% growth is massive for any industry. And, you know, that's billions of extra dollars in sales. And uh, we expect it to double by 2025, 2026, um, and, and could even go higher. Again, we try and take a realistic conservative view. There's a lot of people just throwing out numbers. and They're like, look at this, and they make it look all shiny. We try and be careful um, because we don't want to steer, steer people in the wrong direction. But, you know, put that in perspective. Uh, for your UK audience, I don't know how familiar with some of this they are, but we the the current size of the industry that we expect this year um, already is well above the National Football League, the NFL, which is massive here, right? That's we're all based around the sport in the US. It's already well above that, and that's saying something. And it's actually catching up, and we expect the next couple of years will surpass craft beer. And that's another big industry that has really exploded. Craft beer is, is the beer situation in most of Europe, but it's a you know, 10, 15 year thing here. Everyone used to drink the cheap mass produced beer. So that's a big thing. It's, it's actually surpassing elements of the alcohol industry. It's going to surpass the global opioid market soon. So there's a lot of ways you can, you can uh, look at this. But regardless, it's, a, it's becoming a, a big industry in the U.S. Is it one of the top 10? No, but it's, it's huge. What did COVID do for the cannabis industry? Because I imagine that a year ago, or maybe a year and a couple of months ago, everyone in the cannabis industry was squeaky bum time. Um, it's what we squeaky bum. I like that. I'm going to have to use that. Um, 
We, you know, in, in Europe and a lot of other regions, there was a, kind of a slowdown. A lot of the legalization efforts there and industries uh, and programs were kind of in the formation stage or the early stages. So that kind of went way to the back burner in a lot of other countries and everything was kind of more or less put on pause. What we saw in the U.S., though, was this remarkable situation. It's just it's remarkable to me. This is one of those changes I mentioned before that was immensely positive that I could have never predicted five, six, seven years ago. And that we have this pandemic that shut down the entire world and almost our entire economy. And one of the few industries, few types of businesses allowed to stay open were medical marijuana dispensaries and in a lot of cases, recreational marijuana shops. And not every state went this route, but the majority of states that have legalized deemed these businesses essential during a pandemic. I mean, think about that. This was a, a drug I couldn't even talk about or was nervous to talk about publicly 10 years ago and let people know I was in this industry. Uh, and I was worried about like searching because we were doing a lot of research. And I was like, I want someone to be tracking my internet and I'm you know, Googling marijuana all the time. And 10 years later, it's deemed an essential business in a global pandemic that has shut down the entire economy. I mean, so is what happened to answer your question is that move allowed the industry to thrive. They were allowed to stay open. They, yeah, they had to shut down in those early days in March and April when every, everything was shut down. But they were able to resume sales. And as what you saw is not only did they survive, they thrived. And that's because you had people sitting at home. And and the U.S. was giving a lot of money to people <laughs> yeah, uh, to not work without and without it, much to spend it on. Everywhere's closed except for a few select businesses. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Order from Amazon. Order a bunch of stuff that arrives at your door. And the alcohol industry did really well too. As what we saw was cannabis did really well. Not all of it, right? There were pockets, and there were certain companies, but in general, it's remarkable how well it did. And uh, you know, people sit. It brought new people into the fold that maybe hadn't tried it. Uh, and we're like, well, I got nothing else to do. And it, uh, you know, uh, current users tried different products. Um, and and so you, you saw sales growth. You saw record sales in every state and in some cases huge. And even in the mature states like Colorado. And, and I just want to make this point. When we first legalized recreational marijuana here in Colorado, there was a feeling among some that once you legalize there's a novelty, right? And everyone will start coming. And then it kind of wears off and you'll plateau at some point, a couple years down the road, as other states start legalizing too. you know, they're not just going to come to Colorado to do it. And Colorado hit record sales again last year. And, you know, we're six, seven years into this and, and, and a, more than a dozen other states have legalized and have industries up and running. So that didn't happen. So that really shows you the potential out there in general. Uh, for places in, for 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 anywhere in the UK and Europe and anywhere in the in the world, there's a massive market out there, and and it's on the medical side for sure, but it's also on that recreational side. So the industry did did fantastic through the pandemic, all 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 else being relative. How does the recreational and the medical income compare? So it was, I believe, 2017 when recreational sales surpassed medical for the first time in the U.S., according to our estimates. And that was just a couple years after Colorado and Washington State legalized. And so um, as what you saw is medical was the dominant because there was no recreational and then it started slow. And now it, it is 
it's uh, you know three four times uh, may, maybe even more than that. I have I'd have to look at the numbers again, but it's it's massively bigger than the medical. The medical side is still growing, and if you were just to break out medical sales, you'd be like, hey, that's nice growth, like for for an industry. This is great. Uh, when you compare it to recreational, though, it's it's a, just a little part of the bar, right? Um, and so uh, we're seeing. What we're seeing is when states that have had a medical industry up and running then legalize recreational, within a couple years, the patient numbers start dropping because it's just easier, you know, to go to the store, buy whatever you want, whenever you want. Uh, You might pay more. You often pay more in taxes. Uh, But, you know, the medical side starts to diminish. And even the the, the people who were truly using it for medical – you know, they, they don't want to have to go see a doctor every year. They don't want to have to get a card and carry it around with them. And uh, so we don't know the long-term future. And if these two are ultimately just going to merge into a cannabis industry or if there will be a medical component that's separate and separately regulated and require has different requirements, it, there won't be homogeneity across this country uh, for many, many years. Um, but eventually down the road, it might develop into one singular thing. Given the fact that the cannabis industry overall so, saw so much growth throughout 2020, how is it that I've seen an endless number of videos on YouTube about how Dan Bilzerian and Ignite completely fucked it with their accounts? <laughs> Well, um, I don't like to comment on specific companies just because of what we do with our, our journalism arm and our events. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things that aren't going well when you dive in uh, and look under the covers. There are companies that are growing too fast. They're not doing the right things. They're making bad decisions. Um, you can look to Canada for this. You know, Canada, the first G7 nation to legalize recreational, launched its industry. And there was this massive rush into it. There's all this money and it's like anything. Everyone's all excited and and you lose your sense, right? Even even veteran business people, you lose your sense. And so uh, overinvestment, bad business decisions, um, uh, in some cases, some sketchy business practices. And um, and you get caught in that hype. And we've seen it over and over in the U.S. when different, you know, tech industry, whatever. And so. Um, that's what's happened. And, and that's happening now. There's some of the bigger companies in this industry in the U.S. are poorly run. Um, you hear a lot of scuttlebutt in the background that there's some potentially some shady things going on. And, um, you know, not 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 picking out uh, particular companies to say that about, but just in general. And there are there's bad decisions. And you look at the financials of some of these companies, you're like, Oof, what are you doing? What are you doing? And they're getting a lot of money. What would you do if you were to design a company, a cannabis company that was going to fail? What are the, what are some of the things that you would have it do? It was going to fail? Yeah. Um, I would say you jump at every single opportunity you see, which is very common because there are a lot of opportunities out there and everywhere you look, you're like, oh, let's do that. So if I was going to fail, I'd say, hey, let's go tackle this, this and this and this without a strategic thread behind them or the resources or the know-how to do it right. Um, I would, uh, you know, I would, I would play in the gray areas of the law heavily and, uh, you know, take, take shortcuts and, um, and do things that you really, that you really know aren't appropriate or, or even allowed. Uh, I would be, um, I would also probably be a, uh, untrustworthy, trustworthy business person. 
who reneges on deals or who tells you one thing or who makes uh, an acquisition and promises all this stock and, and everything and then it just disappears for the owners. These are the types of things we see and, and doesn't always mean they're failing the companies, but these practices are out there uh, and really not understanding the market or, or I just come in with my experience in some other industry and be like, oh, I know how to do this. I, I don't need to listen to these cannabis people. Like I know how to do this. I've done it successfully in another industry. So I'm just going to do it this way. And they're, they're all silly. They don't know what they're talking about. It does feel That's like a quick route to failure. It does feel like a different beast. Um, it's different. It's different. What uh, have you looked much into the potential for a psychedelics industry? So yeah, I've uh, been focusing on that more recently, um, and it's a tough one because my opinion on this is I don't know the business potential yet. So if you're looking at it from a business side, I don't know what this is right now. There's money being pumped into it, sizable money in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars into, in some cases, publicly traded companies in Canada. Uh, or in the U.S. that are doing research, or they're, you know, it, it's one of these where sometimes you don't even know what the company's doing. It just says psychedelics, and you know, people are like, cool. Um, so it's hard for me to understand the market at this point. I'm, I'm looking into it more, and we are as a team, but one of the things that strikes me is the cannabis industry is quickly uh, latching onto this, in, in, in not just in the U.S., in Canada, in Europe, all over, you're starting to see cannabis companies talk about psychedelics. And if I start at the base level, I have to question, and I don't have an opinion on this yet, but what is the crossover? Like, should cannabis companies be leading this charge? Maybe, because it comes from similar, you know, it's a drug, it's an illegal drug that's coming out, out of the darkness, and and there and it's a plant. In many cases, it's based on, and you're extracting things. So, and there's medical parts to it. So, I see that I see the reasons why companies are doing this, but I don't know if it's the right thing. Like, um, you know, is there enough crossover that cannabis companies can can enter this or do this effectively? I, I don't know. I mean, should this be a healthcare thing? Should this, you know, is there something else? Um, so part of me is a little puzzled, and I don't know if it's the right route for cannabis to be leading this charge. Although I understand why. And so, you know, again, identifying what the crossovers are. And so for us, when I talk about how do you fail, you go in a million different directions, right? Ooh, psychedelics, now I'm going here. This is a perfect example. So we as a business and how I try and run MJ Biz, you know, we, we have to figure out, does this fit with what we're trying to do? Or is this the shiny new object that we go chase? And for our business, are we going to have an event on it? Are we going to have a lot of coverage? Are we going to have a newsletter? Maybe, but this is an example of how you can go down another path that may or may not have to do with what you're doing now. So I don't know where this is going. I think there's potential here. And look, when we started in 2011, as I said, people were like, what the hell are you doing with marijuana? Like, this is crazy, you know, where you closet pothead and you're starting this little, you know, magazine. And uh, and so I I always catch myself and say, you can't view things like that. Because I could easily say that about psychedelics now and say, really? Okay, mushrooms, come on. And we used to joke at MJ Biz Daily. We used to say, hey, one day we'll have magic mushrooms daily. As a joke, like five years ago. Um, so I, I don't know where we're going with that, but, uh, but there's a lot to unpack there. Have you registered the domains just in case? No. Get them registered, Chris. Come on. <laughs> come on. You know how to hedge your bet. It's 10.99 on GoDaddy right. or something. Get them <laughs> right, get right. them registered. Get once them we've all. finished up on here. I think yeah. I think the there does seem to potentially be a 
a bit of a difference between the cannabis industry and the potential psychedelics industry in that the potency of the drug and the potential effects are magnified fairly significantly. It's the, the difference between having half a spliff and having one to two grams of mushrooms is fairly profound. And I don't think it's the sort of industry, if it gets to the stage where it's recreational use of magic mushrooms, I would be very, very surprised. I think it would be therapeutic use with guidance because as anyone that's taken psychedelics knows, set and setting are very important. And if you just let someone wander in and uninitiate go into some store somewhere, MedMen's uh, psychedelics wing, they go into the, the genius bar at the back and they say, well, we can try this and you can try this and you can try this. The aftercare that you need with psychedelics is significantly greater than it is with weed. Um, I don't know enough about weed to know how big of a difference set and setting makes. I imagine it would make a bit of a one, but nowhere near as much. There's a, it's a power law, right? It's, it's a, a real sort of magnifying effect when you do have psychedelics. So I would be surprised if we see it end up being fully recreational, but the therapeutic effects seem to be outstanding. So definitely. Well, especially, especially if you can do what they do with, with cannabis now and you can extract the, certain elements out of it and and get to a point where you're not you don't have the you know um psychotropic effects that you're it's not affecting you that way but there are health benefits so there's a lot on the health side that's that's exciting to explore i mean i agree with you on the recreational side i can't see that developing like the marijuana industry did but if you asked me 10 years ago if adult use marijuana <laughs> would never be legal and you could walk into a store and see gummies and chocolate bars and bath bombs and you know, jars of weed that you could just go in and, and buy it and then put it on the seat of your car and drive home and not worry about getting arrested. I would have never thought that either. What are the craziest iterations or the funniest or most interesting iterations of delivery mechanisms for weed that you've seen? Um, <laughs> I I mean, you know, there's suppositories. That's, that's Is there really? Well, that's on the medical side and it has a medical uh, uh, pur purpose. Yeah, um, you know, I I don't have any really really good examples. Um, you can myself. get this, I've I've seen some topical ones, right? This sort of subdermal things that you rub on your skin, but your skin yeah. can absorb it, and you can still get some psychotropic effects oh, yeah. from that. To um, yeah, topicals are big that you put on your skin. Um, they're not huge part of the market, but they're appealing to some people. So that's all out there. You know, there's there's products out there to enhance your sex life uh gels and and creams and other things that you i can can't do much use, when i use your imagination high. <laughs> when i'm high i can't do much i don't want to use it as some sort of like pre pre-bed warm-up routine so for some people it works um apparently so there are product there are products out there for that okay there's a yeah. product out there for you for that um so yeah i mean i think <laughs> that's where the innovation is people are just saying these companies are saying what what can i use this in Tell you what I was really impressed by while I was in Austin. I had some one and two milligram uh, THC mints. And I thought that that was a really cool, subtle way to integrate THC yeah. into, a, into a routine. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you go into these stores and, and again, the, the 
product selection is vast. I mean, it's it's mints, it's lozenges, it's lollipops, you know, it's gummies, it's chocolate bars, it's cookies, it's all the baked goods. Um, now they've got, you know, powders that are water soluble and you can put them into any drink and you can put, you could sprinkle it in your seltzer water or you can put it in your beer if you, you want or whatever. Out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you'd be working out much. <laughs> Just be sitting in the corner on your phone. Um, but you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of interesting things out there, and uh, you know, beverages is another one that's gaining some traction. It's not a big part of the market, but you know, you can buy you can buy infused fruit punch and sodas and and teas, and uh, you know, <laughs> it goes on and on now. I mean, basically anything out there is a uh, a consumer product that can be ingested i think people are experiencing or experimenting with what's the future of the cbd industry because i've heard you on other shows talking about there's not just cbd there's cbn cbm yeah there's a there's a there's a lot of other components that that have not really been explored yet so cbd is the one that gets a lot of the headlines and is, is the big industry focus and um that was kind of i think because it was the easier one that we, that people had identified and that that we kind of started rallying around that as an industry. But, um, you know, CBD is an interesting one. It, it, a lot of the countries that have legalized medical cannabis outside, you know, the U.S. and Canada, they're essentially CBD programs. Um, they're called medical cannabis, but there's not a lot of THC, the stuff that gets you high in them. Um, CBD is interesting because I don't know where it's going to go. I think there's there's been a huge um, groundswell of interest from consumers, from companies all across the world. And uh, I think there's a lot of people who feel it gives them benefits. There's not a lot of science on it, so it's hard to say. Does this really help you or do you think it helps you? Um, but I absolutely think it does help people for different things, you know, whether it's sleeping or just relaxing, reducing anxiety. There's a lot of, there's a lot of areas that need to be explored uh, into how this interacts with our bodies. But a lot of people in, in, in the U.S., you walk into a convenience store or your neighborhood market and there's, you know, little CBD oils or these, you know, lotions. And um, and then you can get CBD-heavy marijuana strains. And there's a million products out there now. I don't know if this massive demand will wane and when. You know, is this going to be like some other additive or ingredient to things that we use every day? Maybe. You know, does it become, uh, you know, we've had these fads. I'm sure you've had them, you know, probably in different areas in the UK, but fish oil and everything had fish oil in it for a while or echinacea. Yeah. The thinking is, is this going to be like that? I don't know, but I think there's a lot of benefits to it. I'm, I'm bullish about its potential. I don't know where the ceiling is or how it'll, how it'll all evolve, but I absolutely think I've known many, many people who have used it, um, for, for pain relief, even use, you know, rub it on sore muscles and stuff. So there are a lot of uses. Have you got any concerns about long-term use of CBD, given that we don't have longevity, real extrapolated out studies in terms of time spans? I mean, you know, I guess that's the case with a lot of things. Uh, we don't even really have that with marijuana in a lot of cases. I mean, we do have studies, of course, but it um, not a lot of funding globally behind really researching that. So I'd be more worried about the THC side, and I'm, I'm not overly worried about that. Anything that you um, eat, you know, you eat too many carrots and you, uh, you know, your skin turns orange, you drink too much water, you could die, right? Like, so, you know, you, I think in moderation, um, you know, they're, they're fine. I don't, I don't personally, and I'm not giving any health advice. 
Um, I'm not personally worried about like overconsumption of CBD and my long-term effects of everything I know about it. Um, so, uh, you know, THC, I mean, developing brains, teenagers, probably not a, probably a terrible thing. Right. And uh, I don't know what it does to regular users over 40 years. Um, you know, you might need to want to be a little bit more cautious with that, but same with alcohol, right? Same with coffee, same with chocolate. It's interesting making the comparisons, especially between weed and alcohol. I think the, the hypocrisy is so flagrant and obvious that it's almost uh, kind of cliche to bring it up, right? It's so it's so trite to say that. Well, look at the way that people go about treating alcohol, a substance which causes so many more externalities that are super negative. And we have there's this study from the Lancet, which you may have come across or not. The, the single line summary was there is no safe level of alcohol consumption. The couple of things that people used to say that you get, which was some resveratrol and a couple of other unique types of vitamins and minerals that could be derived from red wine, was offset by the increased chance of heart failure and of the negative externalities. So even the one thing or a couple of the things that were touted as potential benefits are negated and then further offset into the negative. Uh, by that. And yet, you can see within the pushback from the more conservative side or from people, especially in the UK, you know, that we don't have the same weed culture in the media at kind of the top down and then emergently from the community bottom up either. You know, we don't have a thingy and thingy go to White Castle. We don't have that kind of stoner world over here so much. So when you're talking about the fact that it might take a little while for it to break the UK, that doesn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it might. Uh, but, you know, I, I and I know the UK is a lot different than Germany. In Germany, you know, you walk around, everyone was already smoking it everywhere. Um, I don't think they have that cultural side either, though. Of it's, mm, uh, you know, That's it's an glorified interesting point. Here. It's it's um, so, yeah, I mean, it's again, it's hard to predict how quickly things could change. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised to see you guys go in this direction sooner rather than later. Some people in the UK need it desperately. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> where should people go? They want to keep up to date with marijuana news. Yeah. Uh, go to mjbizdaily.com and that's our main website where we cover the industry, uh, internationally and, uh, with a focus on the U S and Canada. And then from there you can get to our, uh, information for our big conference mj bizcon coming up in october getting a lot of international interest in that again i think everyone's hoping the barriers to travel will fall and that we'll all be in a much better place with covid in the u.s things are looking really good right now and then uh, i also started a podcast seed to ceo where i talk about for new people coming in the industry here's here are some you know lessons learned from those who are in it here's the things you need to know about here's success stories and case studies so you can get to all that through mjbizdaily.com what's the podcast seed to ceo yep i love that that's cool nice man chris walsh ladies and gentlemen chris thank you for coming on man thanks for having me on had fun Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget that you might be listening, but not subscribed. So just go to the podcast app that you are using. If it's Spotify, there's a little heart or a plus button in the middle of the screen. And if it's Apple Podcasts, there will be a big subscribe button or a plus in the top corner. Press that and you will never miss an episode every Monday, Thursday and Saturday. Plus, it makes me very happy. So go and do it.
right now, please. I thank you.